0: we're going to have uh, two readings now, but from three readers, because the second reading is quite long, but nevertheless exciting. It's the Pentecost reading. But the first reading is from John 16, so um, enjoy as Angus, uh, Caitlin and Nick read for us.
1: All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think... They are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you were filled with grief Because I have said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you.
2: This morning's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and address the crowd fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem let me explain this to you listen carefully to what I say these men are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning no this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
3: Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, And about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
0: Well, um, that is uh, a really amazing story there from Acts chapter 2. And it continues to be amazing if you keep reading um, the rest of that chapter and into chapter 3. And the whole book of Acts, for that matter, um, we see um, an amazing effect of what the Holy Spirit does to people. Um, And we're going to talk a bit about that today as we... um, look at the uh, theme of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Anthea spoke about the ascension of Jesus um, as part of our Apostles' Creed series. So we were on 1 Peter for a while, and then we've gone back to the Apostles' Creed, and then we'll go back to 1 Peter again. And we're just sort of going sort of three or four weeks on one, and then back to three or four weeks on the other, just to um, keep, it, keep us fresh. But also because these are the Sundays that um, we remember these events in the life of the church. So in the creed, we, we say at one point, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Um, you might have noticed, as we have done in this Apostles' Creed series, that the creed has a what, what you could call a Trinitarian shape. And what do I mean by a Trinitarian shape? It's not something I learned in geometry at school. Um, well, the doctrine of the Trinity states that the God described in the Bible is one God in three persons, Father. Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons we understand as distinct, but are all one substance, essence, or nature. And you're like, what, the, what is he talking about? Um, I'll just briefly talk about it, and then I'll move on, because we don't have time to get completely into Trinitarian thinking. But when um, theologians talk about nature, they're saying um, nature is what one is, and the per- the person of the Trinity is who one is when we're using that word person. Who um, the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is. Um, now the Bible, if you're going to read the Bible, and look for the word Trinity. You'll never find it, um, but they do describe it. Um, the Bible books describe the Bible writers engage with this concept, um, uh, and and so did the early church theologians as they were trying to work out what do Christians really believe. Well. Um, in around about three hundred and twenty-five AD, um, they worked out this formula for God, um, um, and it's very difficult to explain the Trinity quickly um, with analogies. Usually, they're wrong, um, or diagrams. Usually, they're also wrong. But this diagram uh, is actually one that um, uh, you'll you'll see. The one on the on the uh, there <laughs> um, is. Um, is one that you ought come and see when you're you're looking at the Trinity. And you can see there um, uh, the distinctiveness of the persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. But they're all one God. Um, So you can have a bit more of a read about that in your own time or talk to me if you want to go further into that. But what do we mean by... Um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Where well, you can see up on the screen, um, we believe, first of all, um, that the Holy Spirit is conscious. Now, what are you talking about? What do we, Well, when we say the Holy Spirit is a person, let's first start, just focus on that for a second. Uh, this is a highly philosophical and theological question. Perhaps it's even a scientific question. What does it mean to be a person? To be a person, you have to be conscious. And so that's why I'm saying the Holy Spirit is conscious. Um, you have to be self-aware. You have to have the ability to think and process um, thoughts. A person can relate to other, other persons. A person whose conscience can relate to other persons. And a person can have, has character traits. A person can tell the difference between um, themselves and other people. Um, and they can speak for themselves. And this is all important. You might say this is a weird place to start, but I start here because often people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Uh, that You might hear people say, um, uh, the Holy Spirit is here, it is doing something. And the problem with referring to the Holy Spirit as an it is you don't refer to people as an it, do you? Um, uh, the Holy Spirit is not an it. it the Holy Spirit is not a um, like a magical force. Um, although... What the Holy Spirit does can look like that. Um, It's very important that we think of the Holy Spirit um, as a person, because the Holy Spirit is God. You could—it's probably better better to say the Holy Spirit is a He than an It. Um, And I'm not going to. There are there are gender discussions around this: why He and not She? But I won't get distracted on that. For simplicity's sake, He's better than It. Um, uh, God. God is um, Spirit, and so Holy Spirit is... um, When we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about God and the person of the Holy Spirit. We have to remember that um, that as a conscious person, then the Holy Spirit... One one way uh, the Holy Spirit functions is by speaking. So um, when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit uh, as a person... Who is conscious, um, the Holy Spirit speaks. Now we know the Holy Spirit does speak in the first person, even in, in the Bible, though. So look at um, the start of Acts 13, which you can see on the screen there. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And so, here we have a conscious person speaking, the person of the Holy Spirit. John tells us that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, because the Spirit is truth. 1 John 5, verse 6. In Jesus' letters to the churches in um, the start of Revelation, um, seven times Jesus says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And of course, when we um, think about what we believe about the Bible, well, we believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in Scripture, speaking through the, the writing process of the writers, but also through the reading process or the hearing process of those reading and hearing the Bible read. The Spirit was intimately involved in prophecy, speaking through the inspired utterances of King David, Landing on the eccentric prophet Ezekiel, telling him what to say, the Spirit uh, worked through the mouth of the apostle Paul about where he should do his mission and what he should do on that mission. So the Holy Spirit is a person, a conscious person, who speaks as an I to a you, in the first person. He speaks, and um, this is really important as we think about what it means to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The third thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is the Spirit is a creating, a creating Spirit. So the, we first encounter the, the Holy Spirit in the very, I think it's the second verse of the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, um, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In this example here, the Spirit creates life, planting the divine seed, which eventually leads to the birth of Adam. And uh, and then we see again the Spirit hovering in the start of the New Testament over the womb of uh, Mary. Mary. And uh, planting the divine seed into Mary. And we see the birth of Jesus. Um, So you can see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And we thought about that a few weeks ago when we had in the Apostles' Creed series the bit that says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, we're thinking about the Holy Spirit who is a creating person, person of God. The Holy Spirit brings order to chaos. The Holy Spirit brings something out of nothing. The Spirit worked in these special moments of creation, at the beginning, at the beginning of the new creation, we see in the start of the New Testament, and at many other times as well. And this same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, continues to work because His work is not yet finished. The, the Holy Spirit He hovers over humanity, creating a new community in the image of Christ. Well, also, the Holy Spirit is a unifying, a unifying spirit. If we return to the creation story in Genesis, we see the fall of humanity through sin. And this leads to a breakdown in relationships between men and women and young and old. It also leads to a breakdown in the relationship between human beings and the rest of creation. There was once unity and order in the creation, but sin results in disunity and disorder. And in Genesis 11, which I've got there on the screen, we read of the story of Babel. The people in Babel become increasingly sophisticated and powerful, and they use this progress to mock God. But God is not threatened by them at all. Sarcastically, he said... If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It's kind of being, God's being sarcastic. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So um, the result of that is that the people in Babel can no longer work together or share a common culture. They cannot form a common society anymore. And from then on, cultures would struggle to relate to each other, speaking different languages and having different values and, and, and different ways of living. And then they would fight over land. Humanity became fragmented as a form of judgment at that point from God. When Jesus, but when Jesus came, we started to see the reversal of this fragmentation of humanity, this re- a reversal of the curse of Babel. In our reading from Acts chapter 2, we saw the spirit fall on the disoriented community of disciples. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, the Holy Spirit is a, is a unifying Spirit. He, he unifies um, humanity. Because See, see what we're seeing there in in the Pentecost story, as we had read out to us, as they begin to speak to each other in different languages, the crowd outside, who themselves came from different language groups, were surprised to hear their language spoken by this group of Christians from Galilee. So Pentecost, which is what we're celebrating today, is about the undoing of the fall of Adam through the creation of the Spirit-empowered Church. This new church, the body of Christ, is a new kind of society where the old divisions are torn down. Wow. Now we can say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This week is Aboriginal Reconciliation Week. And as we think about Aboriginal Reconciliation Week, we think about the fragmenting of our own society as we reflect on the need for reconciliation between Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people and non-Indigenous people. The history of this nation is marked by the bloodstains of frontier violence, um, where thousands of Aboriginal people were ruthlessly killed it is marked by the draconian policies of colonial governments that sought to control, assimilate and erase the languages and culture, cultures of Aboriginal people. It is marked by racism and tragedy as children were forcibly removed from their parents. And so many of us rightly feel a deep desire for reconciliation. We long to see the standards of Aboriginal health, education and and general living standards lifted to the same standards as of everyone else. Many of us long to see treaties that is fair. And if you don't feel that, perhaps it's only because you feel disconnected from the issue, which I can understand. Many people who are non-Aboriginal would not have an Aboriginal friend depending on where you live in Melbourne or in Australia. Well, let me point to you, if you want a a really easy access into this issue to think about the reality of the fragmentation we're experiencing, uh, you can just watch a few movies. Uh, Rabbit Proof Fence is a classic Australian film, a beautiful depiction of the tragedy of the stolen generation. There's a film, Samson Delilah, which has nothing to do with the... um, the book story in the Book of Judges, but it's uh, and also Charlie's Country. Both of these films focus on the struggles of everyday life in contemporary Australia for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There's also the film Black and White, which um, focuses in on the injustice in the, in the, in the, in the justice system, um, in the court system. Watch those films and um, even better get to know some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and your longing for reconciliation and justice will grow. Now, what we're talking about today as we think about the Holy Spirit brings to us good news, the good news of the gospel, which is this longing that we have in our hearts for, for humanity to be reconciled with, it, with itself is what the Holy Spirit ultimately provides. In my email message from this week, I said that reconciliation was only possible Once we have reconciliation with God, through the forgiveness provided by Jesus' sacrifice, what is also true is that God works by his Spirit to bring about this reconciliation, this unity, this reversal of Babel. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, indigenous indigenous and non-indigenous, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we say we believe in the Spirit's power to bring unity to humanity, in the Spirit's function to reform uh, reform the human community, which is not divided along racial, gender, or economic lines. We can think of the Holy Spirit as as a person of God who creates and recreates humanity into the restored image of the Creator God. If we read the end of Acts 2, we see that ideal humanity depicted. Um, It says in from verse 42, which we didn't read out, but I'm going to read now. Listen to this restored humanity at, at work. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice this new spirit-empowered unity and faith in the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, do not cause them to be separate from the... Um, Jewish community that was around them, they still hung around the temple courts. In fact, the more they engaged and interacted with um, people who were not followers of Jesus, the more their church grew. The unity that the Holy Spirit grants does not cause the the church to turn inward and, and ignore the outside world. in acts we see in Acts we see this powerfully demonstrated. The church in described in Acts shows a connection between the community life um, and the favor that's shown to them. They, they, they experience favor, it says in verse 47. One thing that I'm excited about starting the new meals ministry that we've started is that um, we're serving the community around us, and this is what the Holy Spirit motivates us to do. As we want to experience unity, we, we think as um, uh, Christians worshipping together at Mary Creek Anglican, there, we, we realize that around us, in our streets, there are people who are struggling and a meal can really help them. The Holy Spirit, as, as he empowers us to bring um, unity as the church, unity in the world, we, what we do is we focus not on our own individual needs, but we focus on the wider group. The Holy Spirit moves mysteriously in that the more that he creates unity in community, the more he transforms the community to reach out and serve those who have not signed up to the Jesus Project. So as the apostles stood up and taught people that God loved them, the love that they showed others as a church demonstrated this. Well, also, as we think about the Holy Spirit being conscious, speaking, creating, unifying, we also think about the Holy Spirit empowering when most Christians think about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, they will talk about the spiritual gifts. And this is because the New Testament talks about how the way the Spirit glues a community together and enables it to flourish and to experience that unity is to gift each person, every single person in the Christian community with different talents to serve each other, which the New Testament calls called gifts. In this sense, there is diversity in the community. But this is a mutually beneficial diversity. Paul uses the image of the body, where each person is like a body part. Um, He says some people like the eye, some people like the hands, some people like the feet and the nostrils, and so on. Together, the body parts create a full body with Jesus as the head. And he says not everyone can be an eye or a nose or a a foot, and that's okay. Each person's different and can contribute. And that's okay. That's how it's supposed to be. So if you're a Christian and you're watching this live feed this morning or, or in your own, at your own time later on, then you have the, the Holy Spirit living in you. And if you're not a Christian and you want the Holy Spirit to live in you and to give you these kind of gifts and to move in you in the way that we've been talking about, you, know, you can ask Jesus into your life and say, I want to follow Jesus. And, and the Holy Spirit will enter you from that moment onwards. And the Holy Spirit will gift you in various ways. Perhaps you'll be gifted as an amazing prayer, or you'll be gifted in um, an, to, to, to use your um, skills in like, cooking meals and having people over at your home in, in, in hospitality. And you might think, how's that special? Well, it actually can be transforming for a community to have people like that living in their homes and welcoming people in. You might be gifted in wisdom and an understanding as a teacher or in your ability to tell other people about Jesus. Or... You might be gifted with languages and be able to communicate to other people who who don't speak English really well and also use those skills for leading people from different communities or or even translating the Bible. You might be gifted as an entrepreneur and you might think, what's that got to do with... with, uh, with the work of the holy spirit well we need the church needs and the world needs entrepreneurs to be doing things build god's kingdom and to start new churches and to lead ministries and and think creatively about how the church can exist in the 21st century in a changing world paul says to eagerly desire these gifts of the holy spirit and i encourage you to do likewise pray and ask god to show you how you are gifted I I discovered early on that I can lead and teach, but that I have also a strong gifting in starting new things, and which is why I got into starting churches. And there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit makes us more truly who we're meant to be. So when I'm in that mode of starting churches, I feel like this is who I am supposed to be. The Spirit, he, He hovers over us and like he did over the, 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 the creation in the beginning. And he's with us when we are in our mother's womb. And he, he is with us when we take our first steps and when we laugh and cry with our friends at school. And he's with us all through our life, even in our death. And so the Holy Spirit is an empowering spirit. And la- lastly, and hopefully you're feeling this, now the Holy Spirit is an inspiring spirit. In our reading from John 16, Jesus says that he has to go away so that the advocate, he calls it the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, can come. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, describing what the Holy Spirit does. The advocate has a special role, um, to testify to the truth and show the world what is wrong about with the world and what is true about Jesus. The advocate is is also a comforter to us as he gives us assurance of our salvation When the Holy Spirit fills and nourishes us, we are comforted and filled with joy. Even Jesus prayed when he was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It says in Luke 10, verse 21, the Spirit inspires us to be filled with joy even when we face suffering and trials. Like Paul and Barnabas when they were kicked out of Pisidian Antioch. Or like the Christians in Thessalonica who were filled with joy by the Holy Spirit in the midst of severe suffering, you might be struggling right now. with a, with uh, Maybe you've lost your job or maybe you're feeling the loneliness of the isolation time. Pray that the Holy Spirit can fill you with joy because that's one of the things the Holy Spirit likes to do. So to conclude, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, when we're reading out the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, I want you to be encouraged as you remember these six aspects of, the, of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a conscious person who relates to us in our daily lives. The Holy Spirit speaks into a world that desperately needs to hear the truth. The Holy Spirit hovers over the creation and over us, creating new life and transforming hearts. The Holy Spirit unifies humanity where it has been fractured due to sin. The Holy Spirit empowers us to serve each other in the church and the Holy Spirit inspires us with joy as he reassures us of our salvation.